Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special. Shiel Kapadia here on the Thursday show. A little home and home with Bo Wolf and Zach Berman from Birds with Friends and The Athletic. I jumped on Birds with Friends pre-draft. They jump on here post-draft. And of course, we'll end the show, second segment, with Cliff's group chat. Cliff was already talking to Bo before we even started about Jonathan Gannon. I know he's got a lot to get off of his chest for that segment, let's ZB. How nice was it to get a rundown from the host of a podcast? You seem to be very excited about that. Two days before the pod, I think. Yeah. Yes, I had time to think about it. I had time to prepare. Uh, I I was not going to be caught off guard. So yeah, I I appreciated it. And Bo, how excited are you to be on with uh, Cliff Augustine? You've you know you private text me all the time that Cliff is the star of the show, which of course I agree. Now you get to share mics with the man. All right, Bo is muted. Bo's camera's out of focus. What is going on with Bo? No one could hear what he was can saying. You hear me Cliff. Now? Yeah, we can hear you now, Cliff. We don't need to edit that out. Let's leave that in there for sure. You love a Cliff. Yeah, what's yeah. not to love? He's the, he is the star of the show. I stand by that. I agree. No, no doubt about it. All right. I gave you guys what did you think of my topics? I say you guys five topics. On a, you know, on a, on a scale, should we do one to 10? Should we do A, B, C, D, F? Do you want a weird grading system? What did you think of the topics I sent to you trying to find some different angles uh, now that the draft is over? ZB. I like the topics and I also like the predictive elements to the topics in, in that you anticipated what my, 
response would be. And you said, you can't answer <laughs> it this way. So, so it, it's, uh, I, I respect that. So I, I, I would give it like a solid A minus B plus. I'm working on, on my grading system because the Eagles draft, which I know we're talking about here, I was like, every grade can't be an A, you know? And every time I, I was like, well, I like this pick. I thought they did a good job. I like the process. I like the player. But if I give every pick an A, then then what's that threshold going to be? So uh, I'll give you a B plus, a A minus for your question. Well, I that think I would a, give it a uh, I'd give it a red Gatorade uh, to okay. throw it back to one of our most popular grading scales. Uh, fruit punch. Yeah, I think it was it was good. Uh, not surprising in any way. Uh, not the yeah. most creative thing I've ever seen. But sure, why not? Good good meat and potato stuff serves the purpose. I, li- I like a fruit punch. Naya likes a fruit punch. The Capadius drink a fruit punch Gatorade when, you know, someone's sick. So that's a win in my book. All right. First question. Howie Roseman, is he getting too much credit, not enough credit, or the right amount of credit? And as Zach was alluding to, I knew he was going to ask, well, you know, credit from who? Like, what are you talking about? So here are some things I've compiled here. Football outsiders does this uh does this exercise every year where they look at like kind of the media's draft grades and they looked at 21 uh, sets of draft grades and they come up with a cumulative gpa the eagles this year 2023 their draft class not only had the highest gpa of any team but the highest gpa in 20 years of them doing this exercise no one gave them lower then a B plus. Normally you have some variance. You know, one person thinks they're an A, one person thinks they're a C. No variance here. The variance was B plus to A plus for the Eagles. That was one. Dane Brugler of The Athletic, whom we all love, had their draft class number one when he did his rankings. Uh, you see A's across the board. Greg Rosenthal from NFL.com did GM rankings. He had Howie Roseman number one. So those are, that's just a sample. There's been a lot. It's been like Howie Roseman, Love Fest Week uh, since the draft and maybe even before that. Now, having said that, Peter Schrager of NFL Network had a little spicy report about other GMs being annoyed with how much love Howie Roseman is getting. Not annoyed with Howie Roseman, but annoyed with how much love Howie Roseman was getting from kind of the national media type. So again, the question is Howie getting too much credit, not enough credit, or the right amount of credit. Bo Wolf, what do you think? I think it sort of depends on the context of like what he's getting credit for. I think if we're talking about just the draft, then he's getting too much credit. Like we, we, uh, he did mm. play the board well, it seems like, but there's a reason that teams didn't have Jalen Carter on their board, right? Uh, it's not like everybody in the top 10 didn't do their own homework on Jalen Carter because they saw the same thing on film that the Eagles did. It's not like they weren't aware of Nolan Smith being this unbelievable athlete uh, on the edge. And they were like, oh, wow, they, the Eagles plucked this guy at 30 who we never heard of. Like, these are guys who were very much known commodities within, like, league circles. So I think we can sort of overstate how amazing it is that he was able to get those guys at those values. I think he played the board well. I, I think, like, you know, the Keeley Ringo trade is one where it sort of makes sense to maybe give him credit if, if you think that that's they saw that as an opportunity. But uh, it's not like it's not like this is some steal of the draft relative to other teams. I think we can go go a little bit overboard on that front. I think we probably like just generally speaking, give him too much credit for Jalen Hurts uh, and that pick. I think we, we have talked about that before. Like they did not foresee this range of outcomes in the range of outcomes. 
now maybe Zach's brother disagrees, uh, and we can get to that too. But uh, I, the Eagles, even a year ago, did not see this eventuality for Jalen Hurts. So I think I think Jalen Hurts is the one who gets credit for that. I think somebody framed it as like Jalen Hurts' ascension is something that very much happened to the Eagles, not something that they sort of cultivated themselves. That said, I also I also find it hard to disagree with ranking Howie Roseman toward the top of the league in general managers. I think he probably is one of the you know three best general managers general managers in the league, and I think part of the reason for that is that he's emboldened by Jeffrey Lurie to take some of the risks that you know I think we on the outside know to be like smart business, which which are maybe uh, things that are are you know other general managers are are less able to do. And like the the cash infusion to be able to turn over the roster as quickly as he did in the post, you know, Carson Wentz era. And there are also just a bunch of guys, you know, using the 12th overall pick on a running back and Jameer Gibbs. And so like as long as you're not doing stupid stuff there, there's there's like a, a nice baseline to clear there. So I think it's I think it's both that like Howie Roseman is a very good general manager. The Eagles should feel very good about having him in charge while also like let's not get over our skis. Like I saw the WIP poll question about. Would you rather start a franchise with Howie Roseman or Patrick Mahomes? And like, what are we, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, this is ridiculous. All right, ZB was making a variety of facial expressions as you went through your answer. So, ZB, what do you think of what uh, what what Bo said, and also the original question? So, I I think he's getting an appropriate amount of credit. Uh, I the facial expressions were related to going back to the Hertz pick because because like that has has been. Uh, discussed, rediscussed, you know, uh, graded, regraded, like so many times over. I, so when I got this question, I was thinking about it in conjunction with what they did. And uh, I say he, he got the appropriate amount of credit because the reality of that position is you get a lot of blame when the process doesn't seem to go well, <laughs> as happened in 2020, and they did get the quarterback. And you get a, a lot of credit when the process does seem to go well. The 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 thing with getting credit after the draft is essentially you get credit for drafting close to the consensus, right? That um, if if you take risks from away from what the consensus thinks, then you're often going to get criticized because it's like you reach for this player, and uh, so the, the, that's why you know it's it's like the 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 person who Shield doesn't like who says you you can't grade oh, them. You you can't do grades until three years later. You know what I mean? Like uh, that, okay. that generic that, person. Yeah, the draft yeah. class has has yeah. ceased to exist. Can you find exactly? Yeah. yeah, I think they all have to die. Yeah. I believe because they could come back <laughs> yeah. at any point. So why even bother? Well, really, yeah. they could come back. Yeah, like dying, dying too. So it's <laughs> that's at what true. Point do you draw the line? Afterlife, you know, my yeah. relate. So a lot of a lot of stuff yeah. gets into it. Yeah. So like we know that obviously this this needs to play out. At this point, you're grading the process and. I thought he did a good job of being aggressive when he needed to be and letting the board come to him when when he uh, did not. I I think um it, you know the other thing too is they had the odds were stacked in their favor and that they had a top 10 pick, they had the number 30 pick in the draft, right? When you have two first round picks, it's easier to get premium type players, right? I, I mean those draft grades weren't weren't saying like wow, they the Sydney Brown pick was was amazing right it, it it was focused on the guys who were um high profile players and and you know were drafted away from cons from consensus the other thing with howie i i thought that bo made a good point there about how he's able to operate the way he does because he can 
he can take a longer view and he does have ownership support where I give Howie credit to is, is that he's, he's not dogmatic in approach in that he, he doesn't say like, we're just going to do this because this is the way we did it five years ago or 10 years ago. I mean, there are certain philosophical anchors like focusing on the offensive line or the, or the defensive line. But I do feel like he's, he's open-minded to changing his approach as opposed to, uh, as opposed to kind of saying, I know better than everyone else here. The other, okay, we, well that I, I was going to say specific to the draft. The other thing that I, I think he does, he should get credit for is I think he does a very good job of like, um, understanding what other teams are going to do. Like he, it, and it's, it, it's similar to his obsession with like knowing if players are going to be available via trade or not. He is like, uh, Un, uh, unceasing in his like in his quench to know what's going on around the league and I think that matters like y- whether or not uh, we give them credit for getting Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith or whatever he knew that he needed to trade up one spot for Jalen Carter like you give him credit for that he had a sense that Nolan Smith would fall to him he didn't need to move up for him they didn't move back because they they graded the player uh, at that level like he knew that he could move down three spots from the second round pick uh, the late second round pick and still end up with with Tyler Steen, like you move up for for Ringo. I think he I think he played the board pretty well uh, this year. I think that's right, and I think we have evidence of that. Even the Devonte Smith pick, right? They jumped in front of the Giants for that one. So yeah, I think he apps. See, it's like you zoom out and you just go. They probably have the best roster in the NFL. They went to the Super Bowl last year, and they're among the Super Bowl favorites this year. Like yeah, he's he's done a great job. Like I think this is probably his best one to two year run as a GM. However, a couple of the things you guys touched on, like it's, I've been trying to think and the, 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 like the, like two topics. And the first one is this, like, what is he doing? That's so special. Like Zach, let's say, um, you know, Hey, this is, uh, Johnny Montana, Chicago 101.4. We're thrilled to have on Zach Berman of the athletic here. Eagles getting a lot of love nationally. Zach, I got to ask you, I want to get to a lot of topics, including your thoughts on the Sixers being one, one with the Celtics, but I got to start out with Howie Roseman. The guy's getting a lot of national love. I like the roster, but you know, we've got Ryan Poles here. We're trying to assess him as a GM. What does Howie do that is so special that sets him apart from other GMs in the NFL? How do you answer that? Specifically to this bender that they're on now, if you will. Um, it, it, just right it, now. Yeah, yeah, not just this draft, yeah, but yeah. It, I, I would really focus on their ability to accumulate premium picks uh, over this, this three, four-year period there. They, they had a lot of flexibility with high-valued assets because they made really smart trades when, when it, at obviously the Dolphins trade when this started, you know, in, in 2021 and then the saints trade last year where they, they, they valued future picks more than other teams did. And that also gave them flexibility, gave them flexibility to get AJ Brown. It gave them flexibility that they were able to get Jalen Carter this year at a pick at a higher value than, than what was traded. Um, and that, that's been a big thing. And then the other part is this seems obvious because they've been doing it for two decades. Uh, it, so it, it almost precedes Howie in that Andy Reid and Jen Joe Banner believed it, but the focus on, on the lines of scrimmage that, uh, typically if, if you're strong on the offensive line, you're strong on the defensive line and you're strong at quarterback, you're, you're going to have a competitive football team. I think the level of activity is also a, a real like boon for him because, you know, sometimes it means you make a bad trade for Robert Quinn. He turns out to be a bust, but like, 
even even something as simple as the Gardner Minshew trade from a couple years ago, right? Everybody in the league knew that Gardner Minshew was available. They had just drafted Trevor Lawrence. And and when that trade came out, we were like, all it took was a fifth round pick. Like that's that yeah. seems like a good deal. I and mean, it was, you know, it was exactly Johnson the same with, with CJ Gardner Johnson. Yeah. And so even the DeAndre Swift trade, which I don't think is some like crazy, unbelievable value, I think there is something to be said for like the the level of activity he has. And it also again ties into the to the Lurry stuff and and their cap management system of like they don't they don't overcommit. I mean, you know, the Jalen Hurts contract notwithstanding, like they do have year to year flexibility. And so like the continued uh, turning over of the roster in 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 like tweaking ways because of the degree to which he's like trying to be plugged in around the league. I think I think that is a, a differentiator for him. I think too that the teams tend to value their own players too much and not value other teams' players enough. And Howie uh, consistently is is always you know it's it's his stock answer that the roster building doesn't end at the draft. But but there's this idea in in you know, football and even uh, football media that, oh, you, you built through the draft and you built, you know, free agencies, fool's gold. And it, no, it's, it's, if you, if you can Chris Ballard worldview, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, the, Chris, I know you listen. I, I mean, there's a certain amount of hubris <laughs> to think that your drafting and developing is going to be so much superior to every other team's drafting and, and, and developing you, uh, you have more information on, on, on a player when he's in the league. And the Eagles are aggressive on the trade market. They're aggressive on the free agent market. They're aggressive in the second wave of free agency. And I think they use that to their advantage. So I think like, as you guys were talking, the one thought I kept having in my head is when you lose, like he's got the best, like having that job security allows you to do so many of the things yeah. that you just mentioned. I mean, other GMs might say, all right, well, if I trade for this guy and he's replacing the guy I drafted, in the second round, then I look like an idiot for the draft. And the owner's going to be like, why'd you pick that guy over this guy? In the and it goes on and on. The bold swings you take. He, he's afforded misses. Like Solak made this point and it was a good one. He, he is able to take big swings because if enough of them hit, you have an edge and the ones that miss aren't going to get you fired. Whereas other GMs will be like, if yeah. I miss on three or two this offseason, I'm not even going to be here next year to uh, fix it. So part of it is kind of the organizational uh, structure. And he's out, you know, he's lasted through four coaches. He knows, especially now, like you would say, this is as powerful as how he's ever been, right? I mean, I, I was thinking about this, like previously he, he comes back from the hiatus and it's like, he's got Joe Douglas and it's like, all right, there's going to be checks and balances between Howie and Joe Douglas. And then it was Howie and all right, but there's still Andy Weidel, the traditional scouting thing. And now it's like Howie and Howie's guys, right? Am I, you guys are better versed in this than I am. Zach, am I, am I wrong in that? It says, I mean, it just feels like there's no like other side that he has to battle with and being be like, I have to appease these guys. And he's, he, I mean, he, he has people that he trusts and whose opinions he can listen to, but it's not that same, you know what I mean? That same sort of like tension or, you know, what, what would be termed uh, healthy arguments or healthy back and forth with other people in the building, right? That setup now is different than it had been previously with Howie. Yeah. I, I, I do think they have, you know, smart people in there. Uh, it's, it's just people who are at a different stage of their career in a, in a lot of cases and people who were brought in by Howie or, um, yeah, so it is a different structure. Uh, if I could just circle back to your point there, the one, I agree with what you said, but there's a chicken and an egg element to it in, in that he is emboldened because of 
the confidence in uh, from the ownership level, but I also think there is a confidence from the ownership level because of the way he operates, because of 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 the way he thinks. And like Jeffrey would would tell you that. And I think there's kind of a misconception that Howie acts like this because of Jeffrey's confidence. Whereas you can also look at it, Jeffrey has confidence in it because he he knows Howie thinks and approaches things a certain way. Well, but I think the key to that is that he thinks and approaches things in the way that Jeffrey wants him to, right? Like Jeffrey wants it to be an analytically forward yes. organization. Like he he values the same thing that Howie values. And so I, I think it's still part and parcel of like it being Jeffrey's organization. But I, yeah, I like think if, if you brought in a different general manager and he was afforded that same time horizon, I don't know if he still would operate the way Howie does because Howie has a certain uh, way of thinking that, like Bo said, is consistent with the way right, Jeffrey yeah, I think wants you're, I think you're right. There's run. a symbiosis there. Like he, he's emboldened yeah. to do those things because they are the things that Jeffrey wants him to do. Yes. Yeah, it's, bo- it's both things. Like, like if Howie had a GM that took uh, Jameer Gibson, what was the off-ball right. linebacker, Jack, Jack Campbell? Campbell? Yeah. Yeah. That thing, uh, with two first-round picks, I mean, first of he all, have been hired in the first place. He, he wouldn't yeah. have. He would yeah. not have been allowed to make those picks, yep. honestly. And Jeffrey, in Jeffrey the dra- in the draft room would have told him to draft, you know, uh, Jordan Mailata instead. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, because he no, yeah, whoever three years from now, whoever the Steels were in this draft, yep. that's who Lurie would have no. wanted him to pick. But he he wouldn't have been allowed to make those picks. And if it was just like he made those picks, he would have been fired the right. day after the draft. So it definitely goes back and forth. I was thinking about with the. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys about the consensus draft board thing. Like this has gained more and more popularity in recent years where you see all these bits of analysis, uh, grinding the mocks does it, Arif Hassan does it before the draft. It's basically you take a bunch of uh, draft rankings across the internet. And I, I don't think they're too like, they they take almost anyone, right? Am I wrong, wrong about I that? So, it's yeah. not like distinguished. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they take, you know, whatever, 20, 50, I don't even know how many it is. And then they put together a consensus ranking. And if you look at the Eagles, the last couple of years, this year especially, uh, after the draft, you can align, all right, who took the, the highest kind of a number of consensus picks or who got the best value based on those consensus rankings? And the Eagles were first. And I think the year before, they were first. Now, the year before that, I haven't looked at it, but there's no way they would have been first with Rager over Justin Jefferson. So I was wondering, like, cause I, I think there are some analytics people in the league who would tell you their front office, off, offices use this as like an input, like the consensus boards, Matt, you know, gets in there with the formula for their own rankings and they weight it a certain way. Have they talked about this? Is this something do you think has changed? Because it really is the easiest way to get, and I, I know GM is doing this to get good draft grades, but the easiest way to get good draft grades would be you just go with the consensus pick and you say, hey, the wisdom of crowds approach, uh, you know, the, it's more people looking at it, it's more eyeballs, it's people from different backgrounds, all those things that you're looking for when making these rankings. And so, Bo, I don't know if you have an answer to it, but I know you look at the consensus boards. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on kind of that influence and whether something has changed the last two years with so, that? I think it's I think it's a little bit coincidental because I think the the real trend is not leaning into the consensus board. I think the real trend is leading into the players from elite SEC programs. And those players are going to really? be pushed up the consensus boards to begin with because they're more familiar to everybody, right? I think I think that's actually what's going on here. I think from talking to people in the organization, I think they made a real pivot after Rager and 
this is one of the, the Howie things where like we, you wonder how uh, introspective he is. And I actually disagree a little bit with what Zach was saying about him willing to try different things because when he talks about like how the roster fell after the first Super Bowl, he sort of like just uses, he, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with how often he just blames COVID. <laughs> uh, and Carson and Wentz. Carson Wentz. But I think, they, I think they looked at that when they took Rager over Jefferson. I think that was a part of it. Um, I think they made a real concerted effort to um, to weigh that, like these guys from these winning programs. He talked about it, especially when they're bringing in Nick Sirianni. They want to build this type of like winning program. And so when they go Alabama in the first two rounds in, in 2021, and then Georgia in round one and round three last year, and then Georgia in the first two rounds this year, I think those are guys who are, because they're coming from those programs, they're going to be higher on the consensus boards to begin with, rather than... I'm sure the Eagles, you know, be, because they are one of the most analytically forward uh, organizations, they probably do have that in as an input somewhere. But I don't think that's I don't think that's affecting the way they're stacking their board as much as it is. It's the SEC to the consensus board reverse. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I think Bo makes a good point there. Um, I also think that the the draft industry, for lack of a, of a better term, has has become more sophisticated. Has become better at this. How he gave an example. Uh, in a press conference a year ago when the Eagles drafted Andy Studebaker in, I think it was the fourth round or so, and people were looking around like, who is this guy? And how, how that doesn't happen anymore. And that's, that's, that, that doesn't necessarily support what I'm saying, but I use that as, as a way of saying that uh, there's just so much more information now. There's, there's, a, there's a much better understanding of prospects. There's more data that goes into this. There's, uh, uh, it's, it's become less of a cottage industry and more of a mainstream industry. And so I, I think that the, the evaluations are, are better. Like, you know, it, and, and by the way, it's not just with the draft. It's the reason why Georgia and Alabama uh, and Ohio state have the best programs or have the best players in the drafts is because they have the best recruits. You, you look at the recruiting classes coming in now and you look at the top five rankings three years later and they're fairly consistent. There's just it's it's harder to find the the diamonds in the rough to use that cliche than it once was. So I don't think drafting from a consensus board is necessarily the way to go. But I think those consensus boards uh, are are probably and I have no science behind this. I, I'd be curious to see, but they're probably better than they would have been ten years ago or fifteen years ago or twenty years ago. Yeah, I think there's definitely been some analytical studies showing if you just went off those for like whatever the last like how many teams would you have drafted better than and it seems like you would it you would at least be able to hit like the the average draft and maybe better. I, I would have to revisit some of those. I mean, it'll be yeah that that would be interesting to monitor like in the years ahead. Are they taking the consensus guy? Or are they taking the best SEC guys? I mean. No one wants to, uh, like, I, I feel like one nugget that's gotten forgotten in a lot of, like, the, not you guys, but, like, the national analysis is, like, the two Georgia guys they drafted last year didn't, didn't do anything. Right. Now, there were circumstances around that, but it's not like, wow, they, like, those guys were offensive and defense, you know, rookie of the year, and uh, they just felt like they had to go back to the well. Like, N'Kobe Dean had to beat out Kaiser White to play, and Kaiser White was not playing well, and he didn't do that. And Jordan Davis had the injury, so I think that's more uh, understandable, but at the same time, they signed Linville Joseph off the street and Linville Joseph legitimately played better than 
Jordan Davis. So uh, it's something that, you know, if, the, if it goes sideways, it'll be something that'll probably get brought up at that time. But uh, yeah, right now the roster's in such good shape. Like I was thinking, I think you learn more about Howie when things are going poorly than does the, you know, is there uh, infighting? Is, is Nick Sirianni, is there going to become a point where Sirianni is going to say, hey, you pick this guy over this guy, I wanted this guy. And now look where my roster is. Like those things don't even seem fathomable now because everything's so good and they just got yeah. uh, to the Super Bowl. And honestly, they it seems like that would shock me if that happened in like the next year or two because the roster is in such good shape. But it's always something to kind of uh, keep. I mean, my general take on general managers is that like, most of them are the same and in the same class. And you have so, some who don't take the low-hanging fruit, like they're drafting the you know running backs early or paying them big money. You know, you know, the, the things you mentioned, they're not investing in the lines of scrimmage. Like these things should be very easy, like start here and then you, know, you win on the margins. I think that's how most GMs have to do it. I think where the Eagles have an edge uh, is that I, I think the ownership relationship with Howie gives him an edge. I think he's emboldened to take some risks and those risks. Uh, have really paid off for him. All right. In true birds with friends fashion, our first topic lasted roughly 25 to 30 minutes. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and get to topic number two. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly special. All right, topic number two. I just mentioned him, Nick Sirianni. I was thinking about Nick Sirianni. Like, not a lot of, like, talk about Nick Sirianni this offseason because it's all about uh, Howie and the roster and Hurts got his contract. And the second season takes the team to the Super Bowl. And I was trying to, trying to think myself on this. Is Nick Sirianni more likely to have a Doug Peterson-type run or an Andy Reid-type run? Both successful coaches. Andy Reid, 14 years, most of them good, didn't win a Super Bowl, but was the, kind of the driving force behind personnel decisions. His, his power only uh, grew uh, more and more within the organization. And then Doug Peterson, five years, uh, one great year, two good years, four playoff wins, the only coach to lead the Eagles to a Super Bowl victory, but uh, five years and he's out. And he was never kind of that, hey, this is the face of the organization and he's making the call on everything. Uh, ZB, let's start with you. Do you think Sirianni is more likely to have a Doug Peterson-like run in Philadelphia or more likely to have an Andy Reid-type run in Philadelphia? So I, I will respond with the question with a question, which is, is Jalen Hurts more likely to have... Which you're a, never supposed to do, by <laughs> yeah. the way. Is Jalen Hurts more likely to have a Donovan <laughs> McNabb run or is Jalen Hurts more likely to have a Carson Wentz run? And the, and the reason I, I frame it that way is because... I don't know if, if if Doug Peterson ran out of steam as much as the quarterback ran out of steam, right? And in 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 Reed's case, McNabb lasted 10 years and was, for the most part, consistent over that decade, whereas Carson Wentz lasted really three and a half, four years, right? So uh, I would have to say Sirianni's more likely to have a a an, an Andy Reed run because I would bet on, on Jalen Hurts 
being good for the next five, six years more than I would think that the Eagles are going to have a different quarterback five, six years from now. And, oh, and then I think? would ask, is Sean Desai going to have more of a, a Jim Johnson run or a Mike Groh run? Good question. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jonathan Gannon run. No, I think... Uh, I was uh, going to say save it for Cliff. I think... Uh, well, first of all, I would, I, would, I, would, I would disagree with like saying that, that Doug wasn't the face of the organization. I think he was very much... Like the face of, but his influence in sure. big decisions, I would say, was not at an Andy Reid level. I think Sorry, that's, that's fair. Yeah, uh, and I think that was partly his own choice uh, at at first, and then it was like it was yeah. too late, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, just playing the odds, I think it's more likely that it's going to be like Doug than than for somebody to have the longevity of Andy. I, I just think yeah. that's if you're just playing the odds, that that seems so unlikely. Well, when Zach asked the question about the quarterback, like that was such an easy answer to me. I'm like, oh, definitely Donovan McNabb, maybe better than Donovan McNabb, which speaks to the expectations uh, we all have and everybody yeah. in Philadelphia has for Hurts. Like it, it's very hard. Now, the only thing is injury, which is unpredictable. Like that's the thing. And, you know, to be fair, if he has like a serious injury and he's not the same there as a runner and he's not the same, like that could happen. But like injury aside, I was just like, well, probably like a, like he's already been to as many Super Bowls, right? As, as McNabb was in his entire career. I mean, that's crazy. And he, and he, like he just started. He's not even the quarterback uh, he's going to be. And he's, I mean, I don't want to, I like McNabb, I don't want to have revisionist history. Like there was always like, uh, as, as we talked about when Wentz was taking heat, I was like, this is nothing like McNabb took um, in this city. And so that hasn't come for Hertz yet. Everybody loves Hertz right now. And I think he's just a likable guy and the fans kind of feed off what his teammates say about him, what his coaches say about him, how he uh, approaches everything. And so I think he's going to continue to be a likable guy. It would almost have to take like, uh, I don't know, bad injury luck, multiple seasons, of disappointment but do, i do so think do that think, like, like of the three-headed monster at in the organization between the quarterback the general manager and the head coach like there's no doubt that nick has the least juice right like yeah, that's pro- i would i would agree with that if you said who was going to last the longest yeah. uh the shortest amount of time it would be right if something goes wrong he's the first one to blame yeah yeah but it's also i think i mean the, the reason i framed it that way was it and it, it goes back to the question that uh WIP asked about like Howie or Mahomes or, or whatever it, it, it was like the the quarterback is the most important person in the organization uh at all times that's that's why they're paid what they're paid relative to the other positions because uh the the resource that the, there just aren't as many like capable quarterbacks out there so here comes uh, the if, uh what's what's what, what's his name the former or the Dimitrov complaint about general managers don't make enough money. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Those oppressed Jeez, general managers. Guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there are more people in this world who can do, <laughs> and, and this is no knock on Howie because he's, he's really good at his job, but there's more people in this world who can do what Howie does than what Jalen Hurts can do. That's that. That's why Jalen Hurts is paid 250 million or right, know, like if you, if you got Howie's yeah. job tomorrow or if you got Jalen Hurts's job tomorrow, I think, I think we know which would be more funny to watch. <laughs> that yeah, that's probably <laughs> true. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, with Sirianni, like let's say now, I, Sirianni's done a great job. There's no, the offense has been it was one of the best offensive years they've ever had last year. His relationships with players seems good. His game management is very good. Like he's really you know checks all, a lot of the boxes you would want from a head coach. Let's say that is more like Doug Peterson. And Doug Peterson got and won the Super Bowl in his second year. And what, three years later, he was gone. Let's say I tell you right now, I can look into my crystal ball. And in three years, Nick Sirianni's not going to be the head coach. Like, what's your biggest concern? You know, like what, what would be the downfall? Or is it just 
Zach, you would just say, well, that means, you know, Jalen Hurts didn't perform up to expectations or got injured. Like, is there something about Sirianni as a coach that you say, I still have a question about whether this is still going to be a strength two, three years down the line? I I would say one of two things. Either Jalen stagnates, okay, or like Nick just burns himself out because uh, Nick is a That's a good one. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Nick is one of these coaches who who he wears it like he is he he's a it's how he he rose in this business he is a grinder and uh and when you do this like all the time year in year out you have these 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 long if they have these extended postseasons that can wear on you after a period of time so i think either jail if if we're talking about a different coach five years from now i think it's because either jalen stagnated and you know jeffrey decided that they needed a different voice for jalen and you see that a lot um, you saw that with, with Dak Prescott, right? Um, or the other thing is, is that, uh, that Nick, I mean, Nick needs a break. So those would be the two scenarios I would point to. I, I, I think think there are two other things I would, I would point to as, as possible. One is the difficulty of rebuilding a staff, which he hasn't had to do yet. Uh, and that's a thing that has, you know, like the brain drain is, is kind of a silly, uh, phrase that, that I don't really like very much, but we can just Why say not? incredibly stupid. Yeah, no, uh, but brain drain. But that is a challenge for coaches, <laughs> uh, like having to replace both coordinators. Obviously, Desai was not like, uh, like a, a surefire hire. They had to wait until they were the last team to hire. We, part of the reason they're so upset at Gannon is because they theoretically missed out on Fangio, right? Um, so we'll see how that goes. We'll see how the offensive changes go. That's a difficult thing to do. And then the other thing is is just. Uh, the possibility that like his his message wears thin over time, right? Like the sort of the rah rahness of it, um, and I think we were like on edge about that. His rookie, his his first season, and then you get the flower analogy, and then all of a sudden it pops. I I think that's probably less of a concern because because I think he is authentic. Like that is who he is. He's not putting on a show. But if you are, you know, if it's a if it's a bad season or if it's like the second straight mediocre season and it's it's that that sort of rah rah messaging is is falling a little bit flatter in the locker room, I think that's a that's a possibility at least. I had that written down initially. Maybe his message gets stale, and then I was thinking about it. It's a real luxury to have Hurts as your totally quarterback and leader because I was like, even if that starts to resonate, I feel like Hurts is just though like you know it'll be like all right, well this is Hurts' team. Everybody's gonna follow what like even last year it felt like the team more followed Hurts' personality than Sirianni's personality. Yeah. And so if you still have Hurts, like that's a great luxury to have as a head coach where some of that stuff you might not have, even if now it is still true. I mean a lot of the veterans, Kelsey. Uh, Cox, Brandon Grimm, these guys might go. And then it's like, all right, how does the next group come up? And especially if you have, you know, somebody like uh, Jalen Carter, who like you want a strong supporting cast, good people around him type of thing, then it could go that way. But I just feel like having Hurts is a a nice luxury there. All right. Question number three. Bo, which second year player are you most confident in making a positive impact? And who are you least confident in? Because I've said before, I think the Eagles' ability to sustain this run will come down to the 22, 23, and 24 draft classes. Like if, if, if they are good there and we're not looking back going, man, they screwed that up, then I do think this can be like a McNabb-Reed type run of sustained success. But uh, I think their draft class last year played the fewest snaps in the NFL. Part of that is because 
they were very healthy and very good. It's not like we know for sure that those guys didn't warrant it, but uh, at the same time, they are unknowns going in to 2023. What do you got, Bo? So I feel I feel better about my answers on this one than any of the other questions you had. Are you going to make a Kyron Johnson joke here? Because I had I was thinking about that. I assume team. that we're not yeah. including the Kyron Johnsons and Calcateras in the. Yeah. In the mix for, I mean, for listen, least positive impact. If you, yeah, if you want to have them as your, how about biggest well, I, I, impact, I assume that we're going have. like relative to expectation, right? Uh, I am most confident in Cam yeah. Jurgens. I think, I knew he was gonna say and that. and I know that Zach and I have have disagreed <laughs> with this. I think <laughs> Cam Jurgens is going to be the right guard from week one. I think he's going to be really good. Everything I hear from uh, like talking to people, his teammates, and and people in the organization is that like they love this guy. Uh, I think, you know, he wasn't drafted in the second round to sit for two years. I know that we, we can debate like whether that, that ends up happening with the Eagles sometimes, but, uh, I trust, uh, your boy, Jeff Stoutland. I think, I think Cam Jurgens is going to be a, a value add, uh, for the Eagles at, at right guard. I think relative, relative to expectation. Hold on. Let's, let's just, okay. let's focus on that one now. So ZB, who do you have for your most Wait, so, um, um, positive impact? Yeah. So and we'll get to the other part. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to recycle or. Or not recycle, re- rewind you here to the offs to this time of the, of the 2017 season, maybe a little later when they had a guy who who was who was drafted in the third round the year prior. Okay, high third round pick, I think 79th overall pick or thereabouts. Uh, you don't was, think he, he was know. their second player who was uh, who was drafted that year? He was a center in in uh, in college. Really smart guy, but Jeff Stoutland can make him a, a a guard. I promise you that he'll he. This guy's gonna be great at guard. Okay, and he didn't play much his 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 rookie year, but all the reports in there are so positive to the fact that that they're willing to let go of the veterans <laughs> because this guy is ready to start and. Look in the meetings. This guy is so smart. He he finishes the answers here, right? Um, and of course, we talk about Isaac Samalu, who turned into a really good player, you know. But uh, in year two, it was a leap of faith to think that he was he was. And I'm not saying Cam Jurgens won't be that, but to me, the answer to this question is is Nicobe Dean. Um, I have confidence that Nicobe Dean can be uh, a solid. Like if the baseline is solid linebacker play. I think Nicobe Dean can be a solid linebacker for them. He's he's going to have the opportunity. They have no one else to take over for him uh, if he struggles, you know. So uh, I I think the the threshold for him is is is, is a little higher. I, I mean, the reality is I don't think Cam Jurgens is is going to do poorly. You play between Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, exactly. You you should be good. But I mean, but there is a leap of faith here for someone who hasn't been a guard, for someone who's relatively undersized for that position. To uh, and I I I should be careful when I say that because you know he I mean ath- athletically he's really gifted and he has put on weight and whatnot. Low man but, wins, uh, Zach. <laughs> but yeah, but I I think that uh, that I would answer this question with Nicobe Dean. I, I I just framed it that way because I knew I was prepared for that one because I <laughs> I knew that yeah. that if. If Bo's if I have to be the place, Cam Jurgens guy, that's fine. I'll yeah. wear that. I'm yeah. If if, uh, if 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 Bo doesn't have a timeshare yet in Beatrice, Nebraska, <laughs> then I imagine it's going to come soon because Bo loves him some oh, Cam Jurgens. See, you should have gone. You should have gone Ringer language there and gone. If Bo doesn't have a timeshare on Cam Jurgens Island, uh, yes. Then, uh, you know, but uh, I gotta say, you were talking about how Howie, you know, has evolved. I mean, CB just like. 
that that club was not in your bag three four years ago. The way you just you you knew what he was gonna say, you had it thought out. You're just going right at him. I mean, that's a nice job by you. Having said that, I'm actually with Bo. I I thought Jerkins was a very good prospect. Like I, I feel like I defended. I understood the criticism of the picks. I was like, Jason Kelsey's. You know, he could retire any year. Yeah, they've been preparing for this for like a decade. Why are you doing this? But I thought if he can play guard, it's a fine pick. And I thought he was like kind of underrated as a prospect. I thought he was a very good prospect. So I understand what you're saying about that. I would say say a model more like the exception than the rule. I mean, it's a possibility. You're right. We shouldn't just like, you know, pen him in and be like, he's going to be uh, awesome. But I feel like he's got the tools. You mentioned it. He's going to be in a nice spot there uh, to play well. So we will see. I like this. You guys have a little back and forth on Cam Jurgens, Birds with Friends. Well, let me give you my least. Let me give you my least. Okay. Give, all right. Give me because the least. Because my least is his most. Ooh. Uh, relative to expect, I think N'Kobe Dean <laughs> is going to play. Okay. Like that, he, there are no barriers to that. But relative to expectation of him bringing, as the question is framed, positive value, uh, this guy's going to be out there on an island. He's going to be the one who everybody is circling as, as making mistakes. Okay. It is very hard to, to uh, like, I think linebacker and safety are the two toughest positions other than quarterback w- when you're like in the middle of the field and it's decision making and split seconds of hesitation makes a big difference in terms of like uh, going from college to the NFL. N'Kobe Dean, the inf- information we have is that he wasn't able to beat out Kaiser White, as you said last year. I think that matters. Uh, I, I think... Like to expect him to come in and be a a positive difference making linebacker better than TJ Edwards was last year because that's the role he's taking as the number one linebacker. I think that is a real stretch. I think he's going to be lost at times next year. I think it is more of a like an investment that you think this guy's going to be able to to be a good player by year three. Um, and we know that this is a position that they like if they if they're stack ranking their positions, it's the one they care the least about, and so. He's going to be put in some difficult situations. I I think that there are going to be some times when Nicobe Dean is, is struggling next year. ZB, who do you got? Unless you want to respond to that. I mean, I I hear that. <laughs> I think Nicobe <laughs> Dean is is a sharp dude. He was a 4-0 mechanical engineering major. Okay. Oh, all of a sudden I now we're sh- talking about how sharp guys are. Yeah. Huh, yeah. I, I, I mean, because you're saying how that's a hard position to pick up. Right, I think Nicobe yeah. Dean. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think Nicobe Dean knows a thing or two about playing linebacker. Um, yeah, well, he's Cam Jurgens knows he's a thing a, or two about playing offensive line. What do you want to say? I <laughs> <laughs> one guy gets to play between Kelsey and Lane Johnson. One yeah, guy gets to play yeah. next to Nicholas Morrow. That's true. It will be more exposed. Like unless Cam Jurgens is just getting smoked. Like you know, like Landon Dickerson had some up and down weeks la- last year. But it wasn't like a pop, you know, a big topic of conversation because it was not like a different. So, so that is true that the linebacker is going to be a little bit more exposed and the defense is not as talented. And it's not like the offense. I would I think everyone would agree. You have more confidence in the offense to be like a top five, top eight unit uh, than the defense. I could see that. So the way I, I, I would answer that question on, on the other side is Jordan Davis and n- not in a bad way. I just think there's the. Uh, there's a chance that he's a first and second down player. Like Jalen Carter is so good. And I think the Eagles are going to see that pretty quickly that, that Jalen Carter needs to be on, on the field. Um, I, I don't think Fletcher Cox is all of a sudden going to become like a, 
a 30% player. I think Milton Williams is going to get snaps, right? So I, I, I do you I, think they tell Fletcher Cox when he's on or off, or does he just run on the field and run off the field when he feels mostly like he the wants latter? To? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think like I, I just think there's a chance that by the end of the year, Jalen Carter is the best defensive lineman on the team in, in terms of the interior guys, Ooh, right? Not that's a rookie. Guy. I think yeah. I think the best thing that happened to Jordan Davis, like relative to the eyes being on him, is them drafting Jalen Carter because yes. if they hadn't used a first round pick on a defensive tackle. There would have been a lot of talk about they need him to become more than he was last year. And mm-hmm. I mean, he was bad last year, but like they need him to become a little bit more of a pass rusher uh, and not just play in that one specific role. And now now he can focus on just being really good at that. Yeah, I had Davis as well for some of the reasons you guys laid out. I mean, they knew the risk with Davis when they drafted him. The upside was so immense with with his size and athleticism that I think we all thought at the time, yeah, it's worth taking the risk. But there is absolutely a possibility that he's some he didn't rush the passer in college, that he can't rush the passer in the NFL. And if he can't rush the passer in the NFL, then you ha- and you have value as a defensive tackle. You have to be like one of the, you know, five best run stuffing or run disrupting defensive tackles in the NFL, maybe more than that to warrant where he was taken. So in college, he was off the field on third downs. He didn't play a lot of snaps and he was not a pass rusher. So how much can he grow? How much can he evolve? Now I will say defensive tackles typically, like it it does take some time. So like if you're an excited Eagles fan listening now, you love Jordan Davis, you could like, he absolutely could be something, someone we're not talking about enough. And he has this monster season and you're like, okay, that, you know, he was injured his rookie year. And now look at him. He's the guy we thought we saw even in the preseason uh, last year. So I went with Davis as well. I think Bo's reasoning for Dean is valid though. I mean, just the two quick data points. One is he was the 83rd pick in the draft. Like there were, you know, the league told us something about what, like we all thought, we talked about the consensus boards. We all thought Dean had maybe first round value going into that draft and he lasted till 83. The Eagles even had a second round pick and didn't use it on him, even though they said they were considering it. So uh, he's going to have the opportunity one way or another. I mean, if he surprises, I think he'll become a fan favorite because the fans are dying to have a, a you know, a, a, a linebacker who they can kind of wrap their arms around. But I do think there's a, another side of it as well. All right. Topic number four, rank the seven Eagles draft picks from most snaps played to fewest snaps played as rookies. Again, they their class last year had the fewest snaps played of any in the NFL. Bo, start us off. Rank them. Uh, I got at number seven, Tanner McKee. Okay. How should we do this? This is where I need your help. Should we each say our seven? Should we each go like list by that? Maybe we each just say it as you say the name where yeah. we have them. Should we do yeah. that? Okay. okay. All right. I also have Tanner McKee. Are we just doing draft picks or are we all counting yeah, on McKee. Ty Zentner to be the starting punter and, and figure no, out how many snaps? We, I think you know me well enough okay. to know that we're just doing draft. All right. We've all got Tanner McKee right. at seven. I'm guessing we all have at number six, Mojo Ajomo. Moro Incorrect. Ajomo. Okay. Really? I have do you him. have him six? I have him yeah. at six. I, so I then do you I have... have Keely, I have Keely Ringo at Interesting. six. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I have Keely Ringo at four. Okay. All I right. Well, five. let's talk through this. So my reasoning was, I just... Like, is he going to be ready if one of those corners goes down where you drafted him to come in and be a starting corner? Like, where he's drafted, those guys, not all the time. Like, Tariq Woolen last year. You know, there's other examples. But typically... A guy as young as him on a Super Bowl contending team, like 
Is the coaching staff going to say, yeah, put Keely Ringo out there at outside corner, or are they going to go with maybe a safer option like a uh, Greedy Williams or even a Zach McPherson? I don't know. Maybe in training camp, it's like, wow, they got to steal with Keely Ringo. He's awesome, but I'm not convinced of that. Uh, so I put him at six. And I don't I think, know, shouldn't Ojimo should be, be in the row? Kind of. Well, no, he would I don't be. I don't know what, if he's going to be on the team right tackle. now. Yeah, that's the only. I'm just. Yeah, yeah I guess you would need an there's injury. A, there's a, at least right. a 50 percent chance he doesn't even make the roster, or at least right. isn't active. Bad on game job days. by me. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah, I think I think your your Ringo point is fair. <laughs> I have Steen at okay. five, um, with Romo because oh, Ringo with Ringo at four that. because Ringo is going to play special teams at least, uh, and okay. so I'm not ba- I'm not betting on injuries, but you know I also don't think that Steen is the first backup offensive lineman. If somebody goes down, I think Jack Driscoll is going to be on the field pretty much at any position. So I think Steen is more for next year. Well, Zach, what were your five I, and if, four? If something happens at right guard, I mean, there's going to be a, a... I mean, I don't know if they should finish the season, right? If they don't have Jordan <laughs> in there. You know? <laughs> so, so we don't have to worry about Steen stepping in in that situation. Um, no, so... Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I I had uh, Ringo five, Steen four in that. Um, I think re, I, I think the Shields point. I think Greedy Williams will be the first one up. He has starting experience, and I think he's their top corner on the on the, on the outside. I think Ringo's going to be the fourth. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Zach McPherson takes some snaps in the slot, and uh, is is kind of worked as like the backup slot key special teams player. Uh, but I think it will probably take multiple injuries for Ringo to get in there, and I I think that there's more history of of offensive linemen getting injured than uh than corners getting injured even though both these corners are over 30 but do you Steen's agree that Steen is play. the is the second backup yeah i think driscoll's probably the first one yeah. I, I would agree but but there is a world where they just have driscoll focusing on right tackle because of lane johnson's value to the team and how important mm. and and the other thing too is like I don't know who the backup left tackle is going to be right now. I was just going to ask that. Am I missing yeah, I something? No, is I mean, oh. whether it's Driscoll or Steen, I mean, I could see it being Steen. Steen at least played there at Alabama. Driscoll was a right tackle at Auburn, uh, so I know Driscoll has years more now. He's taking left tackle snaps. Yeah. yeah so well, I, we'll see. I actually had Nolan Smith for really. Uh, I mean, I, how is no, Nolan Smith is the fourth edge fourth edge rusher, right? He's what the am I missing? How much does that guy you play? Have, you have Steen playing more right. snaps? Yeah, because Steen, if I can talk myself into one, I mean, if somebody's going to get injured on the offensive you line. You need two guys to get injured. Zach, well, Zach was talking me into Steen uh, competing for Jer- with Jurgens for the right guard spot. Didn't you say no, that on happen. a recent? Uh, no, not Jurgens is, is, yeah. is a Hall of Famer. Oh, already, I did not say so that. Listen. No, okay. no, I think oh. Jurgens <laughs> is the right guard. I think Jurgens. I All said right. if they drafted Paris Johnson, Paris Johnson would have competed with him. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I mean, Dr- well, how long is Driscoll going to stay healthy if he has to play for a, a long time? Fair. You know, like he 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 hasn't shown the ability to be a uh, every week guy. And yeah, you could easily have two uh, two injuries. Also, I was there like this a little. I think I think Dane is either he's going to tell me this is stupid or he's going to be proud of me. But like offensive lineman, if you start, you're playing the whole right. game. Like he could catch up to three games worth of Nolan Smith with one start. He could play sixty That's snaps. True. And that's probably going to be three weeks of Nolan Smith. So that's why I went with Steen. All right, Dean is, I think, uh, get back to us, but I think you're going to like that one. I mean, All that's right. not like where, next where level we... thinking. It's just math. I mean, I don't tradition. know. I smoked you guys with it. Uh, that's why my number one's my number one. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, got, I've got Nolan Smith at three for the reasons you said. I think it's a, it's a, okay. it's a 15 to I 20 snap a game three. roll. Yes. 
Okay. And two? I, I hedge my bets a little bit here. I go I go Sydney Brown at two and Jalen Carter at one because I think Oh, I disagree. Okay. I disagree. Okay. I, I, I understand. <laughs> okay. Uh, because I think Carter's playing twenty five snaps a game no matter what. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that Sydney Brown is gonna is gonna win that that starting safety job. I mean, if if well, the listeners, the crossover listeners here know that the only person on the team who's better than Cam Jurgens is Reed Blankenship, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> no, Reed Blankenship Brown. has proven so much more as an NFL player than N'Kobe Dean. <laughs> uh, if Sidney Brown's not oh, starting, if Sidney Brown's not starting, I think that's a disappointment. He's their highest drafted safety since Jaquan Jarrett. They drafted him as and that worked third, out well as the third safety, second or third safety <laughs> off the, up the board, depending on how how you label different positions. Uh, he's a third round pick. So, what, like, well, you can't count the, on him to come in and he's, he's a high third round pick. Yeah. So, so the, so the question oh, is, high third round pick. Uh, the, the, the question is at safety is Blankenship or, or Edmonds at the other spot. But I think Sidney Brown's starting and I think barring injury, Sidney Brown's playing just about every snap. I had Brown one and Carter two, really just for my previous reason. If Brown starts a game, he's going to be on the field for the whole game. Carter's not going to be. I also think there's a good chance it's Carter and Blankenship as your, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Brown, no, and, Brown Blank, yeah. and Blankenship yeah, that's fair. as your starting safety tandem, maybe. All right, fun exercise. All right, last one. You guys got to go. Give me one Eagles prediction between now and week one. As Z, you know, ZB, I've heard him go on these rants. Everyone, everyone, listen up. The roster's not set after yep. the draft. There's still going to be a lot of movement. This is a 12-month-a-year Roster construction? I don't know exactly what you said. But anyway, I've heard you go on that rant before. So give me one Eagles prediction between now and week one. It might have nothing to do with roster construction, but that that, that was what was in my head. I have two of them in case I I didn't go first. So I'll just just give you one. Preparation. I'll give you both. Okay, I'll I'll give both. I hope I don't take one of both. I have two also. Uh, Okay. That they... (laughs) Boy, you guys did a lot more prep for this than I'm used to or that I did for this. And so I'll I'll, I'll be quick here. I think they're going to add a linebacker. I think there's a chance that their starting linebacker is not on the roster right now, but that's uh, it. They're going that broad. Mm, listen, well, if I've taught you nothing oh else, God, what do you, you got to be specific with the predictions? There's no upside here for you, Zach. Okay. They sign a of linebacker. No one goes, I heard Zach on Philly special. They signed a linebacker. If you give me a name and then you nail it, like you had the, like I saw someone giving you credit for like the DeAndre Swift thing, right? You got to be specific. All right. So let's go Patrick Queen. I think they're going to acquire okay. Patrick Queen um, right. at linebacker. And then my other one is that the front office will be poached again. That uh, mm. when things shake out Ooh. here, Ooh. I think there's there's there. Now, the Eagles don't have as many like senior level guys right. as they had in the past. But I think filling like those assistant GM jobs and those number two jobs, uh, I think around the league, a lot of people are looking at the Eagles front office as a really strong breeding ground. And there there could be people in there. Who, who people take chances on because they kind of want to figure out what's working here. Like an Alec Hallaby or who are, who, who are the names we're talking about? Like an Alec Hallaby or somebody else? Uh, the problem is there were only, new, on, only two new GM hires this cycle, so there aren't as many jobs available. But That's a good point. They did That's move the hiring cycle last yeah. year to post-draft because the Eagles were so upset about their yes. staff being yeah. poached before the draft. Whether it was a, a, right. a Charles Walls or a Brandon yeah. Hunt or you go on, I, I mean, Alan Walking, there's, there's, there's a lot of real smart people okay. in that building. Okay. Uh, I got? have one um, 
Philly special specific prediction, and that is okay. that uh, Ben Solak will eventually remember that Terrell Edmonds exists and stop uh, predicting that Kayvon Wallace has a, a spot to potentially start at safety. I think I've heard him do that a couple of times. Just want him to remember. Did he do that? that? Oh, I didn't even. I obviously didn't catch that. Like he yeah. keeps throwing in Kayvon as like Kayvon's in the mix to start, and uh, Kayvon is not in the mix to start. Uh, and then my other prediction. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I need to think of a Solak. Sol- Solak's used I need to, to it. Think yeah, of a Solak's Solak used to it from you. Um, yeah, my other prediction. I'm going to give you a specific player. It's a. It's a. It's a uh, Shiel Kapadia favorite. I think we might have the same Eagles one. Eagles are going to send a late round pick to the Denver Broncos for KJ Hamler. Oh no! Re- Whoa! No, to add that to was the not mix mine. Okay, as a potential Quez Watkins, little speedy uh, slot, speedy okay. slot. Obviously, they they I use like their second round pick on Marvin Mims. So everybody's talking about Judy and Portland Sutton. Hamler is the guy who gets sent to the Eagles. I like that one. I would imagine he could be had for very yes. little. I mean, you might just be talking pick swap or yeah. something. I don't even know if you're getting a pick. All right. Mine is one that uh, the three of us have texted about before, so I'm glad neither of mm. you uh, used it. Uh, Jeremy Chin, last year of a rookie deal with the Panthers, new regime in Carolina. Panthers need picks after that Bryce Young trade. The Eagles take a look at their safeties this offseason. All right. We, we're trying to win a Super Bowl. We got to upgrade a but little bit. But do they play bit. him at they safety or linebacker? Well, this is why if you have a nice creative defense, I know we've had conversations about the hybrid players. If you have a defensive coordinator you trust, Chin could fill a lot of roles for you, actually. Yep. I mean, if he is, if you're playing dime and he's like, you know, the linebacker uh, on the field with, uh, you know, and you can move him around, but in base, he's playing safety. Uh, I think there are different things you can do with a Jeremy Chin. And maybe like last year, they got Gardner Johnson. You get Chin, but then you're like, oh, we, we love Chin. We're actually going to extend him, and he's going to be a core young part of this defense for years to come. About so Zach's it's a good boy, question. Isaiah Simmons. What a good career he's had. <laughs> he just needs a smart, he just needs, a, he just needs the right person to deploy him. So. Yeah, yeah, but he, he has your guy as his guy, and, yeah. and, and they just He doesn't have that now. Out. Yeah, he doesn't have that now. All right. Oh, All right. Uh, you guys have to go. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you want to plug anything? Are you like, no one's making it this far? Go, go ahead. I hope they're making it this far. Anything, we just anything writing coming up too? Birds with friends okay. and uh, Zach, if, if you're looking for a good story to read, Zach has a, a piece on Vinnie Curry's shoe collection <laughs> that you can still read on The Athletic if you Google it. Yeah, check okay. out our, our, our work on, on The Athletic. <laughs> we have uh, comprehensive coverage year round. Uh, uh, Bo has his power rankings up, up this week. I had... Uh, two stores, one on the Georgia, uh, the Georgia dogs that the Eagles have, and then a, another on DeAndre mm-hmm. Swift coming home. So you can check that out on the Athletic. And then I have a, a big piece yeah. coming out on, on Monday that I hope everyone reads as well. Ooh, big piece! I love it. Check it out. All right, the follow up to Brent Selleck Realty <laughs> Opus. Or the Nick Foles coffee. I mean, it really could be anything. All right. Thank you to Bo Wolf and Zach Berman. I will be back after another break talking to Cliff about Sixers, Eagles, and Phils. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! 
All right. Thank you to Bo Wolf and Zach Berman, Birds with Friends, The Athletic. Also, shout out, of course, to Marissa Dunn. You know, pregnant. I'm not going to make her come on Philly Special after she does like seven hours of podcast with them during the week, but obviously deserves a shout out here. All right. I went from one great producer in Marissa to another great producer in Cliff Augustine, and we got his weekly segment back. I don't even know what's on his mind. Cliff, usually, you know, I get a little text. Oh, my friend said this. We're gonna talk. This time, you're just like, I, I don't know. It could be anything. There's a lot going on. What are we starting with today? So as if I wasn't already angry at this guy, Jonathan Gannon, man. Shill, <laughs> you could just see the expression on my face. I was I was literally reading just different articles, you know, of the Mike Flores of the world, the Adam Schefters of the world, listening to 97.5, listening to, you know, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Shout out to all the good folks that do Philly Radio, who do a great job every single day. And, and, and the more reporting I hear about this Gannon thing, the more angry and upset I get about it. So I go into the group text, right? This is the main Eagles one that we talk in every single day. And then there's the report that Gannon was contacted directly after the Eagles win the NFC Championship game by uh, Cardinals GM Monty, um, I'm sorry. Austin Fort. Yep. Austin Fort. Monty Austin Fort. He, he contacts him. He's like, hey, you know, congratulations on, you know, reaching, reaching this point in the season. Hey, you know, we might be kind of looking for a coach because we stink. Jonathan Gannon, obviously, <laughs> obviously <laughs> the antennas fly up for Jonathan Gannon here. And he, he's, he's thinking... Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to the Super Bowl, but at the same time, let me prepare for this job here that I might be able to get because it seems like I mean, there's there there's obvious reason why this guy would be contacting me right after the NFC Championship game because he probably wants my services and he's letting me know, hey, there's a there's a vacancy here that we really want your services here. And the more and more I got to thinking, the more and more I'm like, he had everything prepared because the Super Bowl was in Arizona, right? He had everything prepared for his presentation for when he went to Arizona because you know how long those um, those meetings with you know hiring coaches can go. They can go yeah, for days day long, long. Yeah. Day, day long at a time. So that's not just you know slap a group project together, put some uh, Elmer's glue, <laughs> you know what I mean? Put some Elmer's glue on the poster board. It's not one of those. Like you have to really sit there and prepare and give your pitch. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, so this guy just was, wasn't focused on the defensive game plan and schemes and all that, which, you know, every second taken to preparing for interviewing for the, for the Cardinals job is a second taken away from preparing for Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback we've arguably ever seen. And at the end of the day, the Eagles move up from pick 94 to 66 for Sidney Brown and lose the Super Bowl. Like, do you, has that, has that been wrapped around your head that, out of all of that, you move up about thirty picks for losing the damn Super Bowl. I'm 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 enraged now, and I can't wait to do this Gannon watch every week because that's how I look at it now. That's how I view it. Cliff went from one week being like, I don't know if I want to do that, to now he's already doing Gannon doing watch on May fourth. You're doing, I'm doing it, it every week. Every week. Uh, so a couple of thoughts. I mean, one is we talked on the last episode. Like this has been such a weird like three months or whatever for Gannon. Like I didn't, I did not, everyone knows what I thought about Gannon as a defensive coordinator. I did not think the defense was good because of Gannon, I did not like watching him on film. I think they had a very talented defense and a very healthy defense. To me, that was a Howie Roseman victory, not a Jonathan Gannon victory. So uh, I'll start. I didn't understand why all these owners were interviewing him and thought like, wow, we get into a room with this guy and it's incredible. Like I honestly did not understand that. I've never met the guy. So I don't know uh, what happens to people when they talk to him. Now, I will say this. I don't know if this will ease your, you know, the what your feelings 
or not, but we've seen Jonathan Gannon when he hasn't had job interviews and he spent the whole week or two weeks preparing. It hasn't really mattered, Cliff. When they, they, the quarterback's good on the other side, they're getting cooked. We have two years of evidence. He had multiple opportunities. If the quarterback is good on the other side, they we have... Derek Carr throwing for 80%. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to have any answers for him. I mean, look at the quarterbacks the Eagles faced last year. Like, they didn't they didn't face any... Uh, the best quarterback they faced was, what, Daniel Jones uh, or Kirk Cousins Kirk leading Cousins up did. to the Super Bowl. So there or was Dak, no or one... Dak, or Dak. That, yeah, but Dak cooked him. Dak killed yeah, him. Yeah, 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 Dak, yeah. Dak, yeah. Dak was, what was the stat? He was like 25 for 25 against the Eagles. <laughs> that, that, was the Min, that was the Minshew game. So, yeah, but no. Yeah, Dak, but Dak still their defense. Too. So that makes my right. point. Like that, right. that week he had all week. He had no job interview to prepare for for Dak, and he got cooked. So um, I just don't understand. Like there's a clip that someone sent me yesterday. Gannon was on the field after the NFC Championship and did an interview and was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. You know, and it's like. All right, this is so weird. I, I don't know what that. By the way, too. Yeah, like, remember that? It's crazy that he did make that statement right after. He's like, "Well, yeah. I'm guessing he must have gotten that phone call literally right at." Because I mean, I can't believe he had of, no idea there, about it, but there, I don't know. Right, there's a lot of conflicting reports here where he's like, "You know, I'm not going. I'm not staying." Also, that could be a leverage play, right? Where he's like, "I'm not going anywhere unless they sweeten the pot." That's true. I'm not sure what he, I'm not sure what he got from the from the Cardinals at the you know anyway. But I'm sure yeah. you know maybe he's saying like, "I'm staying. I'm not going nowhere." He's probably probably would have been like, "All right, you know, let's say let's give me a couple of, a couple more dollars." You know, I could change my yeah. mind a little bit. But in, in this in this way too, I heard that this could affect the Brian Flores case too because the way that the tampering works in the NFL with how teams are contacting coaches during these long playoff runs, right? And Gannon is in the middle of preparing for the damn Super Bowl, but he's, you know, preparing for also trying to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, whereas they said that affected Brian Flores's possibility in becoming the Cardinals head coach as well, too. Hmm. And I'm like, well, how come, why are teams allowed to talk to coaches and granted permission to talk to coaches before their team's run is over with anyway? Like if you're heavily invested in Eric Bieniemy and Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen, wouldn't you just wait another week or like, what is that week or two going to do for you? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what, I, what, I mean, just when you said that, that, I'm like, I'm like comparing Jonathan Gannon's resume to Brian Flores's resume, honestly. <laughs> I mean, just put them on a sheet of paper next to each other and tell me how you pick one guy uh, over the other. But the other thing, and I think you alluded to it, is the Fangio aspect of this, right? Because yes, uh, yes. Adam Schefter had the report, and it was like a vague report, but he basically said the Gannon thing. It sounds like actually this is a maybe bigger story that's what, that's than we what know I'm of saying, right now. Like more NFL, could come out. Right. The NFL has to really investigate this now because now it's like there's a lot of real tampering going on and there's yeah. multiple coaches that were, you know, going different directions now because there's coaches in Arizona that left and, you know, to go on Gannon's staff and were tampered with as well. And then there's guys, you know, like Fangio who took the Miami job the day after. Like there's there's a lot of layers that we still don't even know about. And I feel like yeah. this is going to be crazier than what we actually give it credit for. But in the yeah. meantime, it's just like, this is all over Jonathan freaking Gannon. Like, what are we doing here? Are you serious? A, Meanwhile, Eric yeah, Bieniemy has to settle for uh for 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 DC and that one of the direct franchises in American <laughs> history that's about to be sold off. And yeah. Jonathan Gannon is getting the Arizona Cardinals job without any problem or any issues and no real resume, if we're being honest, besides the sack record, which I mean, do you even really credit him that? Or is that like you no. said, the Harry Roseman record? 
Yeah, that those weren't coming off like exotic looks and blitzes. Like, right. okay, it's just Hassan like, Reddick is killing yeah, Hassan his right Reddick tackle. Is his, yeah, yeah, Hassan yeah. Reddick is beating the right tackle. If Brandon yeah. Graham is, you know, old as hell, he's beating the slow. Yeah, left whoever, whatever side he lines up on. Like, yeah, uh, this is all started because of this guy, <laughs> Jonathan Gannon, and we got Sidney Brown instead of a Super Bowl championship. Like, this yeah, is crazy to me. I'm. I'm I'm actually like really right, livid about yeah. this. I know. I feel like we got to move on and you're going to burst like a, a vein or something. The Fangio thing, no, no. the last thing was that the Schefter report was that it impacted a lot of lives and like basically Fangio might be the Eagles defensive coordinator if it sounds like the implication was if they knew Gannon was leaving earlier, then they would have locked Fangio in going forward because remember Fangio was already consulting right. for the team so I think we both like Sean Desai he's a sports Indian he's a temple yeah. guy we're hoping sure. he does a, a great job at the same time if the yep. Eagles defense struggles with Desai and Fangio's Dolphins are just killing it uh, then that's going to be a topic of way, conversation then as well all these guys like they have like the same defensive sets formations and whatnot anyway right so yeah I, they're all the I, same family they're all the same family it's just about like who's who's calling what on defense you know what I'm saying right. like that's yeah. that's such a big difference in like I remember Ben mention this when we were talking about Steichen he's really good at calling the game from one o'clock to four o'clock eastern time you know yeah. what I'm saying like right like how reacting good is adjusting yeah. yeah like like we know Gannon is that is not a strong spot for him yeah the one o'clock to four o'clock so you know how good is the side going to be from one o'clock to four o'clock that's like my main thing personnel is one thing packages is one thing but like are you good at calling the game and adjusting to what what's happening to the team on the other side of the ball you know what I'm saying yeah, we'll we'll see. All right, move off again. And what do we got next? You got the Phillies, man, and and chill. I know you've been super locked into the Phillies. I've been locked into yeah. the Phillies. I know. I know your daughters. I'm big fans of them, by the way. I know they're super <laughs> locked into the Phillies this year. You know, you even took them up to the Bronx and had them walk down walk down the street <laughs> to the Bronx. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> Bryce Harper was back. Bryce Harper made his return from Tommy yeah. John surgery. He was back on Tuesday. He went zero for four. But then on Wednesday, he was three for three, two singles, and he was walked twice, which, by the way, is crazy to do that in the second game coming back from Tommy John surgery. However, the Phillies looked pretty bad this series versus the Dodgers. Uh, they were outscored 26 to five. We've had Aaron Nola's had consecutive five run leads, like four runs in the third. Then they didn't score after that, right? And then there's two major plays that really messed it up for me. It was Castellanos. There was a, like a blooper from Chris Taylor in the seventh inning and Cassianos just played it wrong and ended up being a triple. And then that run ended up scoring, right? It should have been a single. And then as yeah. we know, my guy, Sosa, third base, you know, a, a nice little liner, soft liner going his way. I don't know. What, what do you call that? A soft liner, soft. It was a liner. Yeah. yeah. A little, little liner. Mediocre <laughs> liner. Yeah. It wasn't crushed, <laughs> but it, it wasn't like a humpback. Yeah. It was like a right, mediocre right, liner. Right, right, right. And, and Sosa, I love Sosa, man, but he's been yeah. racking up the errors this season and, and third base really just hasn't looked that great with him. And uh, after the game, he just said he missed the ball. Alvarado said he, they said he went up to Sosa during the dugout. was like, look, man, like it happens. It is what it is. As we sit here right now, talking right now, Shil, the Phillies are 14 in L East. They are six and a half back from the Braves and they are 15 and seven. Uh, Robbie T is, isn't one too pleased right now with everything that's going on from from base running to to just blowing leads to Nola, the concerns with him, his fastball. I was looking up some reports earlier. It's dropping off you know, about four or five miles per hour compared yeah. to last year. Robbie T says it's probably going to pick up as the season goes on. But, but man, I mean, if Nola 
isn't going, I I don't know what we do as far as pitching goes because this team right now, they they just look like they're a mess. And I get it. It's very early in the season. We haven't even played 30 games yet. I'm not panicking. But where are you at right now as far as it goes with the Phillies? Yeah, I would actually put a positive spin on it because you started the segment Bryce Harper got on base five times like Bryce Harper being back on the lineup in the lineup changes everything back sooner than anyone could have expected uh so that's that's huge you're gonna get Harper he'll you know it'll probably take some time he's not gonna get on base five times every but now you're looking at like post all-star break he should be feeling like fantastic like he could just Mm -hmm. you know take over months at a time you have that coming we know Kyle Schwarber in June is gonna just put the team on his back like he does every year Kyle Schwarber owns June Trey Turner is not lighting it up right now like I don't think that's gonna last the entire season I think he's Mm -hmm. gonna get it together so I think the lineup is actually uh going to be fine there and by the way uh, that Alvarado moment with Sosa just warmed my heart when they showed it on TV. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just like, that's yeah. a teammate right there. Like I was even, you were yeah. saying, my, my Naya was sitting next to me. I go, look at that. That's a great teammate right there. His teammate yep. screwed up. They ruled it a hit. It's going to be on Alvarado's ERA, all these things. And what does he do? He goes to the dugout, goes up to him, be like, hey, it's all good, man. It's, you know, it's May 3rd. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we believe in you. It's going to be all good. So uh, I'm with you. I love Sosa. He, I thought he was just going to be like lights out at third base, and that has not mm. been the case. I mean, that was, yeah. yeah, a very routine play. So it's just like a lot of like little dumb things, you know, the base running. You mentioned it, mm. some of the stuff uh, in the field there where I think that oh, stuff's going to like, um Just like Brandon Marsh when he got, he got uh, oop-de-dooped by Buki Betts the other night. Yeah, Never, yeah. It, so, like just, just small things like that. Right, yeah. So I, I think that stuff's going to even out. The, the pitching is probably, if I'm looking like, can this team win a World Series? That's the thing I'm looking at. Now, Nola's numbers are good. He's pitched well, but you're right. The velocity's down. So now, like, the command has to be even better. And it's probably not fair, but I'm just like, if you have a five-run lead and you're the ace, like, I don't even want to be thinking about the possibility of a loss. You know what I mean? Like, the game should be over. And it's not all on him. They Again, if Sosa catches that ball, maybe they win the game and we're not having this conversation. But he did kind of let him back uh, in the game a little bit. So, again, the numbers have been good. Uh, I think they're going to come back home this weekend, maybe sweep the Red Sox. I think the crowd's going to be going nuts for Harper, and I actually think uh, they're going to be fine here. So that's kind of where I am, where I am with the Phillies right now. Shout out to Nick Castellanos too. You know, he's still up there in strikeouts, but he's batting three hundred nine this year. Oh yeah, I'll take this version anytime. Yeah, yeah. his slugging percentage is four ninety six. His, his OPS isn't actually that high, but it, okay. <laughs> listen, this, these are all numbers that I'll take compared to last year. He was, yeah. my guy was struggling, just swinging at anything. And like I said, he's still striking out at a pretty high rate, but at least he's making contact on the ball. Great the ball at bat play. though. Yesterday yes, in the, yes, in the, yes. not, I mean, that was an amazing at bat. Yes. Like last year's Castellanos, there's no way he survives yep. that and gets on base for the walk. My, so uh, I'm with you. Swing. He would have been swinging for the fences. Like, <laughs> three pitches. Been, good night. <laughs> the three pitches, good. Like, it, no, it don't matter where they would have been. It could have been above his head, behind him. He would have swung at him no matter what. So, shout, shout out to Nick for uh, for improving his uh, his batting average there this year. And uh, no lastly, doubt. we got to get on the Sixers, man. And this is yeah. uh, another chat that, another thing that came up in the group chat. This is the, the Philly chat right here that we talk about anything Sixers, Eagles, all that. And um, a lot of people had issue with Embiid coming back last night. And, um, you know, people thought it was just the moment. First of all, listen to the Sixers pod just dropped earlier today. Game two, yeah. Raheem, Chris, we talked about Embiid's MVP. 
you talked about the game two loss last night and, you know, how it was pretty bad, but there's still, you know, a little bit of a bright side to look to going forward. But a lot of my friends, what the discussion was, was did Embiid come back too early? Now, my take on it is, was I think he should have came back, get his legs back, because no matter what, you don't want him coming back game three. Because first of all, you're probably going to lose game two. Like, odds are you you aren't going to take two in Boston. Like, I've been to Boston. Yeah. I've seen that crowd. That crowd is raucous. It is hard to play in as a player. Like, it, trust 15 me, in I, a row, I think they said, right? When the home team loses game one, they've won game two. So, yeah, they were big two, underdogs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the Sixers were playing on house money going into that game anyway. So, it's like, all right, you might as well get back to getting used to Joel playing anyway. So you might as well get him up the floor, running down, get him used to that brace. I saw the brace on there. That, that look, that brace looked crazy. So he had to get used to doing that, get his conditioning back somewhat, get the feel back to playing with his teammates. But what I didn't like was not seeing an aggressive James Harden. Like I feel like game one, the reason why the Sixers won was because the ball was moving and Harden was aggressive. And I know he has to play second fiddle to Embiid, but it's like the game plan yesterday should have just been like, look, Embiid really shouldn't necessarily be factored into the offense. It should have been more so you guys played a game of like pass the ball around and beads the rebounder. He's the roller. He's the cleanup guy. He plays defense. I thought that's what it should have been. And I feel like they were way too reliant on looking at Embiid to do something on offense when knowing he's just coming back from he's still playing with a serious knee injury. So it's like, yeah. why don't you just play your game how you played it in game one? And then we'll factor in Embiid later on as he progresses and gets better and feels better with the ball in his hand. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I bef after they won game one, I was like, this buys time for Embiid. You don't have to play him until game three and Friday. This is great. But then as the game was playing out, I kind of felt like you. I was like, you got to get used to that thing. I mean, he just fell down. He made a jumper. Remember that play? And then he was yeah. shuffling back and he fell down. And the whole crowd was like, you know, no, making Grant Williams gave fun him a of him. Love tap. Grant Williams gave him a love tap and he fell down. So yeah. Like, like, I know. And it, flop. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, so I think like there's absolutely something to let him get used to playing with the knee brace in like a real game environment. And like, I think there's a chance that this will help them as the series continues. They'll be like, all right, I know what I can do, what I can't do. By the way, I know they got killed. I'll give him credit. His defensive effort in the first half specifically, I thought was awesome. It, it yeah. was like, like I love when superstars are like, all right, I don't have this. This is not available to me. How am I going to impact the game? And like, that's what he was doing. I mean, he was playing so hard on defense. I think he had what, five blocks there mm -hmm. in the first half. So um, I don't have an issue with it. You know, I, I think mm -hmm. it, you're not going to get the same Embiid. We know that. I looked at it. You're six for 30 from three and you're not going to, Embiid's not going to be a factor offensively. Like you're probably going to get blown out. You know, one of those things has to happen. I think the Harden point you made, like the difference between Harden now and Harden in his prime is that like, I think he can rear back and give you that game one. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can, you're going to get that like three times in a row. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and I don't think you need it. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. you needed like a 45 point effort. It's just like, I just need to see some aggressiveness from somebody. Yeah. I was watching the game last night. I'm like, why is Jalen Brown playing 80 times harder than anybody on the Sixers? Like, I just didn't see I just saw the lack of aggression. I just, it was a lot of things that just really disappointed me and what they were doing. They were playing mad, super slow. It was, yeah. it was just so much for me. And I'm like, why last game, Mountain came out hot, Tobias came out hot, Maxi came out hot. And I get it. Your shots go down, but it's like, you you can't get out shot at the three point line alone. Like out at the three point line yeah. after the first half, I remember looking at the numbers. They were out shot at the three point line alone by like 12 shots. 
I'm like, bro, yeah. just put up some Celtics threes. shot yeah, 21 more threes. Yeah, 21 more threes than that. Tw- think about that. You shot 21 <laughs> more threes. Like, that's old Houston Rockets, Harden, <laughs> Dan Tony, you know, PJ Tucker. Who else is Gerald Green? Like, that's yeah. that's those type of numbers. So I, I thought like that, and that shows you how they had a lot of lack of regression by not even shooting threes. So for for me, it's just like you gotta get some more shots up, period. And on top of that, y'all Harden has to be more the aggressor here because if Embiid is hobbling like that and you know he can't give you a hundred percent, then I feel like Harden has to be in his mindset of like, all right, let me be more aggressive and not necessarily have to look to be the facilitator on the pick and roll or just give Joe the ball in certain spots. Like I know that yeah. he's going to be able to clean the glass up. I know he's going to be able to stay, you know, maybe stay open in space somewhere if I'm driving and I can kick it to him. Like, uh, the game plan was just weird to me. I felt like they conceded the game. I thought, imagine if you would have, like, actually tried to put that real effort in and gone back to Philly 2-0. and Like, now it puts a yeah. lot more pressure on game three now. It's not like people act like, yo, it's home court advantage, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, do you not understand – that the Celtics do not care about home court yeah, advantage. That is a really good. Yeah, that is a really good road team. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. I, I'll give them. I think the kind of charitable view of it would be they didn't know what to expect from Embiid, and so when you're like game planning or you're figuring it out, it's like how much can we go to this guy? Like, did they even go to him at the nail? Like, you know, the thing we've seen, like every, I don't even yeah. remember a set where oh, they yeah. did that. I mean, that's their go-to uh, right. set the whole regular season. So maybe they got some answers. They figured things out. Now they can say, all right, we're going to get this version of Embiid. Here's how we have to play. And let's see what it looks like in game three. What do you, end of the weekend, because this is, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Sunday night, what's the series at? 2-2. I think Boston's going to so come too. in. I think, I think they're going to get one. I think the Celtics get one. Yeah. Which is going to be that's going to be a spicy last three games. I think it's going to be two two. Yeah. I can't. I Would can't you? T- I, can't, I feel like you kind of take that. I mean, if that yeah. if you go into a best of three against the Celtics and whatever happens happens, like at the beginning of the series, right? You probably would have said, "All right, yeah. I'll take that." If it's two two after four, I'll say this: if you go into the best of three with the Celtics after that, I'm hoping to be is probably at least averaging around. 26, 27 points a game. You have the best player on the floor. Like, just, just go all out. You have nothing to lose. Maybe. Crazy. We'll see what all that knee right. looks like. I almost feel like here's my, I'll give one Sixers prediction. I think in the game the Sixers win this weekend, whether it's Friday or Sunday, uh, Tyrese Maxey will be the story. There was all that talk about Maxey, you know, the Celtics got his number. I know the numbers weren't great last game. I feel like I wanted more of him. You're talking about hardened aggression. There were times I'm like, just give Maxi the ball. If he jacks and up a three, go. if he goes yeah. to the hole, like I just like I never really look at Maxi and I'm like, that's a bad shot. I'm always kind of like, right. that's fine. Like, go get after it. And so I think Maxi, uh, I think he's not scared in these moments. I think he right. can rise to the occasion. I'll, I'll predict Maxi with like 33 points uh, Friday Ooh. or Sunday in a Sixers win. You take you taking the over? You t- clearly taking the over. Yeah. 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 So there okay. You go. Okay. Right. Are you taking the over? Let's say Embiid is at 12 and a half rebounds. You taking the over? Uh, I was just looking at this because I know during yeah. the game, I'm like, he's not getting a lot of, re- he had three rebounds. I mean, really? that's another aspect. Yeah. I know it didn't seem like Wait, it. Yeah, again, he, was, rebounds? He, he had more blocks than rebounds. Five blocks, three rebounds, and three Yo, turnovers. that's crazy. So, all right. All right. Yeah. All right. Hard. So I'm taking the under. <laughs> Does Harden come back? Does Harden come back to Philly and get over seven and a half assists? Over seven and a half assists? Yeah, I think he will. Okay. I think okay. they'll have one really good offensive game 
and one game that's a dud, and it'll be 2-2 after the weekend. Either way, I'm excited, man. I can't wait to see it. Friday night, they back at the Wells Fargo Center. Let's get it. That's right. Six Philly, Celtics. let's go. Phillies, Red Sox across the street. Uh, big yep. weekend. Uh, either you'll be texting all your Boston friends or you, <laughs> they'll be texting you one way or the other. Something's going to happen. Yo, what we'll what aspect what is Boston? Is, does Boston have any aspects of the city that they're better than Philly? Uh, I hope our bosses doesn't, don't hear this, by the way. Uh, I like visiting Boston, but I nothing really comes to mind where I would say, yes, I actually like, you know, hanging out in Boston for like a weekend or whatever. But I, I don't know. Do you have something in mind? You you spent time in Boston. I don't, I don't think there's there's nothing better about <laughs> there's nothing better about Boston and Philly besides the cha- the championships that they got, you know, <laughs> this, you know, they're entitled a little bit. Well, you know? Hold on. Listen. Uh, yeah. I will give them credit for making great hires when they start companies, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. putting good people yes. into place, yes, uh, feeding yes. their families, giving yes. them nice ins- health insurance, yes. all that. So I will give them an edge there, Cliff. Shout before, to those you know, guys. Yes. Trouble. Yeah. You know, so we better we better wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to those Boston guys, by the way. We love you. We love you. All right. Thank you to Cliff Augustine. Thank you to Bo Wolf and Zach Berman. That was a very fun segment. As always, everyone enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games this weekend. I think uh, you know we'll, we'll have Sixers post game pods. Cliff, yes, we'll come. We'll come back Sunday or Monday for the Sixers post game to there wrap up go. the weekend. Friday night yeah, we cannot games. go, okay. so we have some there other obligations. Go. So there Friday or Sunday or Monday, look out for the Sixers. We'll be back. We gotta get Benny Souls back, man. You gotta get him That's back right. from hibernation. And then we'll get Benny Souls. Uh, we'll steal the fishing rod out of his hands. Find whatever pond or lake he's in. You know and he was we'll tweeting at me Eagles next week. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he want, he's going to get you a Rolex or you're going to get him a Rolex? Yeah, yeah he, he got to keep that promise. You can't just put that out there and not do it, right? But you're right. He said like he's disappearing for a week, but he yeah. can't stay off Twitter. Remember when he's I yelled still- at him for checking Twitter during the episodes? I'm talking to him and he's tweeting and I'm trying. I'm like, yo, that's what is that disrespect? He can't just sign off. Even when he's out, he still has to be checking Twitter. We'll work on him. All right. Millennials. All right. Thanks, Cliff. Yeah. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Cliff. Thanks, Bo. Thanks, Zach. We'll talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly special.